We turn to the Gospel according to John, where we've begun our study there, and this prologue or introduction to the Gospel, the first 18 verses, falls roughly into three parts, and we're looking at the second part this evening. So I'd like to read John 1, 1 through 18, and to give our attention to verses 6 through 13. God's holy word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Let's ask for God's blessing. Father in heaven, we come to your glorious revelation and we pray for your help to us, frail and feeble creatures, that you would give us light. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our light in life. May he shine upon us by his spirit. May we understand the things that you have written. And may your word be life to our souls. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I was reminded this week of a quote by C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis, who didn't get everything right, but he said at one point, interestingly, that it's a serious thing to live in a society where, where men have eternal destinies. He said, to remember, quoting him, to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Or else a horror and a corruption, such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long we are in some degree helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another all friendships, 
all loves, all play, all politics, there are no ordinary people. can't help but think that John was strongly impressed with a sense of that very thing, that, that there are no ordinary people, that in the end we all shine as the sons of God or we spend eternity damned in hell. John is an evangelist, John the gospel writer. John tells us at the end, near the end of his book, that I've, I've written to you these things, I've recorded these miracles, that you may believe that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. And John draws out all these contrasts, doesn't he, between light and darkness, between life and death, between those who are the sons of God and those who are the sons of the devil. And so, as you come to this Gospel of John, it's very clear there's nothing trivial about it. There's, there's no vanity here. John is dealing with the very issues of life and death. John is proclaiming that there's hope for a dark world. He begins in glory. And he quickly comes to this world. And tonight we want to see that as we see heaven's light shining in a dark world. Notice, first of all, tonight the significance of this witness of of John, John the Baptist. And then look with me at the, the horribleness of man's rejection of our Lord Jesus. And then see the riches that come by believing on him. Well, I mentioned last time that John's gospel takes us back further than all the other gospel writers do because, because one begins with, with the public ministry of John and Jesus, another begins with the birth of Jesus, another begins with, with the genealogy going way back to Abraham. But, but John goes back to in the beginning, and then when he says that the word was with God, the word was God, he goes beyond the beginning of Genesis 1 to eternity, right? He tells us about the Son of God, the eternal word, right? That's where he begins. But then John comes quickly to where we are in this world. He says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. So when it comes to the ministry of Jesus, John, the gospel writer, begins where all the other gospel accounts begin. When they talk about the ministry of Jesus, they begin with John the Baptist. Now, this gets a little confusing, right? Because we keep talking about the gospel of John, and then we talk about John the Baptist. These are two different Johns. The gospel, we believe, is written by John the disciple. And, and one reason we believe it was written by John the disciple is because the book never talks about John the disciple. Or to say it differently, it talks about John the disciple, but it never calls him John. It calls him the one Jesus loved. That's a curious thing. He's one of the the three prominent disciples, Peter, James, and John, the inner circle. All the other gospel writers talk about John, but in this gospel account, the disciple John is never named John. And early church fathers say the book was written by the disciple John. But the disciple John is telling us about John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer. And, and in all the gospel accounts, John the Baptist receives a prominent place, doesn't he? And why is that? Well, Jesus said he was more than a prophet among those born of women. There has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist was unique in that he stood on the very threshold to usher in the Lord of glory, the Son of God, arriving upon this earth. He's the last and the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. 
and he proclaims that Jesus has come. You know, it's interesting as, as John begins with those first five verses, and it's all, in some sense, sounds fantastic and almost theoretical in the beginning, was the Word, the Word was God, and, and you begin to think these are high and lofty things, they're very far removed from my life. And we feel that way sometimes as we come to church and we hear these themes of redemption and forgiveness and the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And then we go out in the world and we say, what does it have to do with farming? What does it have to do with the fact that I go down the street and I see people dressed in horrible ways or I turn on the news and I, and I hear the most grotesque things about sexual perversions? What does it have to do with the real world? But you see, John... In writing, he brings us right into the real world because he says, verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And he brings us right to a real person planted on this planet who is proclaiming that the Son of God has come. These are not abstract, theoretical, irrelevant concepts. This is history. This is history. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. What a, what, a, what a blessing for a church that had been waiting for centuries. Don't you think they'd begun to think that all the prophets had said about this kingdom, and about this glory, and about all these wonderful days when the nations would flood to Israel? This was all just a, a vain dream. I mean, they had waited for centuries for the Messiah to come. They had been through hard times in the Old Testament. They had faced enemies. They had been carried off captive. And the prophets kept saying, look to the future, look to the future. Then they get brought home from captivity. And they've been living in the land of Israel for 400 years without a prophet speaking to them. And what are the grandparents telling the grandchildren? Well, you know, it's going to happen Some day it's going to happen you know the, the prophet said the Messiah is going to come and then those kids grand or up to be grandparents and they say to their grandkids you know I know the Romans are ruling I I know we don't see even the line of David where is the stump of Jesse but you know it's going to come the prophet said it's going to come Malachi had ended the Old Testament proclaiming that the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. And Malachi had said, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And yet after that, the revelation from heaven seemed to stop. Where was God? Where was the coming? Herod, the Edomite, the Descendant of Esau reigned over Jerusalem. Esau was ruling over Jacob. The temple had been corrupted. These sad religious leaders. These were dark days. We complain about dark days, don't we? We're dismayed a lot of times. We, we look at this culture and we, we get disgusted. You think, I, I never could have believed. I mean, things have changed so rapidly, right? So rapidly. Presidents who were against homosexual marriage quickly turned and became promoters of it and set apart special days to boast in the strangest sexual perversions. It's become a matter of course for certain presidents. We feel like these are dark days. But to the temple where Zechariah was serving came the angel prophecy of a son. And Zechariah sang for joy over 
the child, John, who was born. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And now against all this background, this this utterly climactic moment in the history of redemption, John the Baptist steps on the stage of redemptive history in a dark and cold world, a hopeless place. And John the Gospel writer declares there was a man sent from God whose name was John. One writer says of this that John the Gospel writer is signaling a movement from the realm of eternity to the realm of time, from the realm of faith to that of the senses. His gospel is not about religious ideas, but about historical reality. Another one writes, the author is not concerned simply to state timeless truths, but rather to show how these truths are anchored in human history. Yes, this is the reality. Satan would love for us to think that that all these things in the word are so many fantasies. And and even the people in John's day, to hear John the Gospel writer talk about the eternal word and about light and about these grand themes might think it's all just rather irrelevant to our lives. But no, here comes the prophet onto the stage to announce now. You know, when dignitaries visit, right, there's, there's people who announce them, announce their coming, who draw the attention of the people to see them. And, and God's prepared that here. The herald of daybreak, John, to bear witness that he, this is the one of, of whom I spoke, that he who comes after me ranks before me. Or to say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John is here to announce him that Jesus Christ has come. And how gracious God is to prepare a witness and to bring a witness. God has sent him. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. Now notice in verses 7 and 8, three times the word witness. There came a man for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. The gospel of John is filled with this witnessing. You've got the witness of the Father, You read about the witness of the Son, the witness of the Spirit, the witness of the works of Christ, the witness of the Scriptures, the witness of the disciples, the witness of the disciple whom Jesus loved. Witness everywhere in the Gospel of John. What's a witness? A witness is one we have in the courtroom, right? The witness is brought in to speak before the judge or jury to Tell them things that I know, but you don't know because you weren't there. And so the witness comes to to testify to what they've seen or heard. One writer has said it's almost as if John, the gospel writer, is inviting us to put Jesus on trial. To call on the witnesses, to listen to the witnesses, because we must... In a certain sense, render a verdict, right? We must make a decision about this Jesus. John's great hope, John's great prayer, John, the gospel writer's great labor is that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, you would have eternal life. And here's the first witness called. 
John the Baptist. John the Baptist who's come to wake up a sleeping world and to turn sinners to see the darkness of their sin and to say, here he is. Here he is. He's not just an idea. He's not just a dream. The Son of God has come in the flesh to save you. He's come into this dark world to bring light. There's lots of concepts, you know, that are a little bit more difficult for us in modern times to to grasp, right? You think of, uh, we'll read later about the whole idea of water and thirst and so forth. And, you know, we have all the water we want, right? We We don't think about living in desert climate and dying of thirst and Another concept is light, right? We have, we have all these lights. I mean, go dark outside. We'll still have plenty of light. We're not used to living in places where it's very dark and candlelight doesn't light up like this. But here's come the light. He's a witness to the light, the, the light of God greater than the sunshine. The light that gives life has come. Well, let's turn from the significance of John's witness now to begin to notice what happens here, that not everyone receives him. We see the the sinful rejection that follows. We read that in verse 8, he was not the light, John the Baptist, but was sent to witness of that light, that true light, which gives light to every man, was was coming into the world. Verse 9 has puzzled commentators. You know, what does it mean that he was the true light that gives light to every man, Coming into the world. Well, the true light means he's the, he's the real light. He's the authentic. He's the heavenly light. But to every man, well, he doesn't give light to every man in a sense of, of enlightening their heart, like we heard this morning, enlightening their minds. There are many people who are blind and dark. They don't understand the truth of Jesus. But I think John is saying that, that this is it. This is the full revelation of God. This is the light for every man. There is not light found anywhere else. He's proclaiming the universal relevance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Which should remind us that when we, you know, we get a little intimidated in the world and we think, you know, we talk about Jesus here, but not out there. Everyone here, you know, they believe in Jesus, but out there, you know, they say, what does he matter? Well, we shouldn't think that way because the Bible is telling us this is the only light there is. It's a true light which gives light to every man. People can claim they have inner light, they have other light. The Bible says this is all there is, the Son of God. And if you don't have light in him, you have no light. You walk in darkness. This isn't one religion among many. This isn't a fun thing that the older people like to do, get together and have church. But, you know, a younger generation, they have other places by which to get wisdom or to find happiness. This is the true light. Everything else is darkness. There's no life outside of Jesus, no matter what anybody says. Just because countless thousands have rejected him and some nations in the Old Testament never even heard of him doesn't change the reality. There is no life but in Jesus Christ. And yet, in verse 10, we read of this horrible rejection. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. 
John had told us in the opening verses that all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. The, the eternal Logos, the Word, the Son of God, is the one through whom everything was created. And now he comes down from heaven where he's worshipped by angels, and he comes to this planet that he made, and he comes to human life that, that he sustains breath by breath. And he's not recognized. They don't know him. It's not because he's a stranger. It's because they're estranged from him. Their hearts are so dark that they don't recognize their own maker. And if that wasn't bad enough, then we read in verse 11 that he came to his own and his own did not receive him. And here he's probably talking about Israel. People adopted as God's own possession. People have a double claim upon them. They're not just part of creation, but then they're part of that smaller circle. They are the redeemed of the Lord. They are, they are the church. They are the chosen. And they don't receive him. It's one thing to be the owner of a rental house, knocking on the door, having your tenant slam the door on your face. It's another thing to be the father of the house and come to your house and have your children shut the door, not as a joke, but out of hostility, anger. The Jews, by the end of the gospel, are crying out, crucify him, crucify him. Son of God, their maker and their redeemer. It's revolting. But from this, we learn two things. First of all, we see the corruption of our own hearts. John is uncovering here, isn't he, the ugliness of of the fallen world. You can look at the heathen nations or you look at Israel, but it's bad. The world is dark, dark, dark. We shouldn't be so surprised, should we, that, that our culture doesn't get it. They could be so wicked. The creator himself came to visit his creatures and they didn't know him. John 3, 19, and this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. This is the indictment of you and me. It's what we are left to ourselves, that we would spit in the face of our own maker. Hostile to God. But we also see here what Christ is willing to bear for us. The suffering and humiliation of the Christ, the Son of God in our nature, that he willingly submits himself to this kind of treatment. I mean, if you even had a rental house and your tenants treated you that way, how, how long would you put up with them? We sometimes get so offended for our own sakes in this world. I can't believe, you know. We get treated this way. I can't believe this country that had strong morals has come to this. We've been so wronged. Our, our constitutional rights have been violated. The creator of the world came to his creation. And they slammed the door on him. We did that. This is about our God and his world. This isn't about our politics, first of all. It's not about our rights as citizens. It's not about our pride. 
The world was made through him, and the world did not know him. We have to refocus and understand what this is all about. This, this great project of the universe is not about us, first of all. This is about the almighty creator, the, the humanities formed who have turned their backs on him. And yet the long-suffering of our God that he sends his own son to receive this kind of a welcome. And Jesus does this that he might save. And he does save. Notice finally tonight the wonder of Christ's blessings. Verses 12 and 13, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name. Some went against the current. They broke with the hostile world. They embraced him. They believed on him. This is what John the Gospel writer is working towards. He's praying towards. He's he's calling the witnesses that some might believe on him and be saved. And he, right at the start of his gospel, he, he lays it all out. The highest privilege that humanity could have that they become children of God. Children of God. What a title. What a privilege. One commentator says it's the birthright to all the blessings and privileges which his coming was designed to impart. The blessings and privileges were summed up in this that they were admitted to membership in the family of God. John, the disciple, he loves this. It it amazes him, right? That we should be the children of God. Remember, he writes in 1 John 3, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. We take it for granted, don't we? Sometimes we don't recognize the privilege of American citizenship until we see people willing to risk their lives, right? Risk life and limb or even risk the well-being of their children to put them on a train to go to America or take a flimsy raft across the ocean. Or What is this? See, people are so longing to get in here. But we have adoption as God's children. Not by something we've done, but what Christ has done. That he bears our sins. That the Son of God has come down to lift us up to become children of God. It's not something everyone naturally possesses. It's not the the birthright of all of humanity. This is the privilege of grace. Something that we sinners do not deserve. A status that we could not attain by working hard enough or searching or asking or begging. But to those who simply receive the Son given from heaven, there stands the Father with adoption papers rather to bestow them on you. Here, be part of the family. And you say, how is this possible if the world is so dark? If my heart is naturally so dark, how did I embrace the light from heaven? And the answer is, Verse 13, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. 
Which brings us right back to where we were this morning, doesn't it? Irresistible grace. The glory of a birth from above. No, we didn't birth ourselves. We didn't find it within ourselves and all of our wisdom to recognize the Creator and bow before the light. It's not a matter of blood. It's a matter of your father's Abraham. It's not a matter of the will of the flesh or the will of man that your parents chose it for you or you chose it. It is birth by God. You know, it's interesting that some in centuries past thought this was referring to the virgin birth or virgin conception, better put. Talking about Jesus. It wasn't of the will of man, right? It's the will of God, but I don't think that's the case. But you know, our new birth is as miraculous as the virgin birth, virgin conception. That was not by the will of a man. It was by the will of God. And so is our new life in Christ Jesus. That God has come into the darkness by his spirit to breathe life into our dead hearts so that we might believe and so be the children of God. So from the heights of glory, the Word, who was with God and was God, all things being made through Him, comes down to darkness, to a world in rebellion, to a place where people would spit in the face of their own Maker. It comes to suffer, crucify Him, crucify Him, that He might purchase for us the Spirit of God, the Spirit who comes in and gives to us new life, regeneration, birth from above, so that we might have from him the gift of faith and by believing may have life in his name. Let's not disconnect the wonders proclaimed here from real life. We don't do it in our own lives, I trust. Believe that what the scriptures say here are truths for us, for real life, for something in our heart. But as we go out into this dark world, let's not think now that this Jesus has nothing to do with them. This is the only light there is. And we, like John the Gospel writer, should work and pray that we as the Church of Christ might be so minded as to say, looking upon every person, there is no ordinary, no ordinary person. There are image bearers who have an eternal destiny in one of two places. Every single one of them. An eternity as a child of God or an eternity in a place of unending terror. But we should work and pray then that the light that has come to this real world, where John the Baptist walked, where the Lord Jesus walked and suffered and died and rose again, at this very planet of darkness, might know the light. We shouldn't give up hope. We shouldn't think that there's, there's nothing going on here, that the culture's lost, that the world is over. God's light will shine. God will gather his people. God will make of sons of the devil children of God.
It's our privilege to be a part of their great enterprise as we pray and work to promote the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us have confidence. Let us know that this is not some fantasy of big theoretical talk about the word, the eternal word that has nothing to do with this world. But let us believe that this word came down to this world. And that's why we have eternal life. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for your truth. We thank you that you have sent the Lord Jesus, but also the witness to the light. We pray, God, with thankfulness that you have invaded the darkness of our hearts, that you have overthrown the rebellion, that you've breathed new life into the dead soul, that you've enlightened our minds so we can understand, and that you have remade our wills so that we do, by your grace, choose Jesus. Heavenly Father, as we look upon a corrupt culture, we pray that we'd be glad to know and confident to know that the light has come. There is a light that's greater than the darkness. We do pray, Lord, for a world in hostility against you, that you help us to be faithful witnesses, lifting up your word and your witness to your beloved Son, to his saving grace. Heavenly Father, we do grieve to think of humanity and rebellion against you, your creatures resolute against their maker. We pray, Lord, that we will see this as about you and your purposes. And we pray that your gospel triumph each day. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.